back to hormone training. I'm Jay Daye, and Leslie is somewhere. But we actually got super busy and did not have time to record an intro to this amazing episode that we have posting today. But since I have all the time in the world, I decided to help my little co-host out and record this little intro because she's busy. She got her life. She got a job. A girl. I'm not going to talk about her life, but let me tell you, she's a busy, busy gal. But some of you who are new may not know that we're a variety show that rotates topics every week. And this week, we're going to be talking about our thoughtful moment with one of my most favorite thoughts that I have ever met in my whole entire life, Luis Gomez. We met when I first moved here in California a trillion years ago, and I'm so happy that he made time to have this conversation with us. It was an almost two-hour conversation that we did cut up into two episodes, but it's pretty typical of what we do. And this first part, we're going to get a little bit into his background and how he got started into this amazing nonprofit work that he does. But also, I really wanted to talk about DACA. And DACA is something that not a lot of people know, and I will get into the get into it in the episode more. But what essentially DACA is, was a way for children who were brought here by their parents to the United States in a way that wasn't in accordance with the bureaucracy that is our immigration system, a way for them to start working and not have to be deported. Um, unfortunately, um, DACA does not lead to citizenship. It's just kind of like a temporary, like, all right, well, here you are. And I really wanted to talk about that because this year it's kind of up on the chopping block and I definitely wanted people to get more information and to have a conversation about it and try to be positive too because you know a lot of times these these conversations about immigration or anything that has to do with social justice seems to be bleak but I'm hoping that this episode can be less bleak and a little bit more optimistic also our second part we are going to be talking with Luis about finding happiness when the situation gets tough so that's actually going to be a really fun episode that I hope you all tune in for our next thoughtful moment but you know enough jibber jibber jabber jibber let's get into this episode because it's really cute and I'm just so grateful for Luis again and Luis if you're listening I love you you're awesome but listen to this commercial because we gotta make some money and then we'll get into this little epic all right so we are here with somebody who is very near and dear to my heart we'll kind of get into our little background story but we're here with a very important individual if you try to look him up on linkedin he doesn't have any information so (laughs) i'll let him trust me i tried (laughs) (laughs) yeah we tried googling and he's very hard to find unless you're on tv um, we have one of my very close friends, Luis F. Gomez, Director of Immigration Research. Director? Oh, my God. Okay. Um, Luis, say hello to our homosexual audience. Hi, fans. <laughs> hello, that's his, that's his tagline, his, his hi, fans. Hello, friends. Oh, my gosh. I love this introduction. Thank you so much for having me here today. This is really exciting because I've... Talk, do you know I endlessly talk about Luis? I feel like yeah, I, I think he's actually obsessed with you. I think I'm literally <laughs> obsessed with you. It's he's crazy. like, oh my gosh, look at Luis. He's like, what parade was it? I think you saw um, Extina 
Aguilar. Yes. Weren't you posting Christina Aguilera with her fucking strap on? <laughs> Wasn't that you? Oh, it was like, I recorded the so whole thing on. for the fans, and everybody was thanking me because they saw everything. They saw Christina when she, everything. when Kim Petras came out, when the Moulin mm. Rouge cast came out, when Paris Hilton came out. Wow. Um, it was, yeah. Thank you for yeah. following. So, no. Yeah, no. He, <laughs> we he follow your stays story. posting. I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like he's having. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Um, so yeah, um, we're happy to have you in to, um, yeah, to have a conversation with you. Let's just jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Luis, and I am a program director at a, at a nonprofit organization in Orange County serving um, LGBTQ immigrants. MX Daya and I go uh, way back, <laughs> actually. So I'm excited to have that conversation as well as to just kind of like the things yeah. that we have seen on the ground. I'm also known as the Dutch of Veracruz, honey, because that is a land that (laughs) that is my soul. So um, you'll see some of that. Where's that? Puerto Rico? No, uh, honey, that is where colonization of the uh, continental... Um, North America began. So right. it's, the, it's the coast. It is it the is? coast, yes. friend. It is the coast. Oh. It's where Salma Hayek is from. Look at a map. <laughs> Can yes. you look at a fucking map? Look at a map. <laughs> it's where Salma Hayek is from. She's my dear friend. We're going to do lunch tomorrow. I thought she was Spanish. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no. Salma Hayek is from Veracruz. Yeah. Um, oh. This is a tangent, but how do you feel about her being a little bit controversial and marrying that really white guy that sells? Um, Hispanic artifacts on the internet. <gasps> oh my god, I didn't know that. I'm gonna have to text her. Know, so your little sis, it's, you your little lunch date. She needs to wake up and get <laughs> yeah, out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna text her, <laughs> and I'm gonna, you know, maybe have to postpone the lunch for controversial <laughs> <Please>. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her it's recommended. Yeah. Tell the fans they're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. But um, yes, yeah, so I um, have been doing this work for quite some time and um i've actually gotten the honor of sharing space with mx Daye, um in this work and so <laughs> like i said i'm really excited about what that conversation um is going to look like um because mx Daye has seen um also some things I've re- seen related it. to this conversation so excited. yes ma'am i was in the ground i was also Grassroots. i was out, yes bitch okay. when they say going door to door that was me bitch let me tell you all done it from um, <laughs> well let's talk about that so when i knew you uh-huh. you were program specialist mm-hmm. you were director of nothing right so i am very happy to see how much you've grown I actually moved to California in 2016 when I met him, which we met through our lovely friend, Asia. (laughs) She's she's a mess. mess, I love her. Have you ever seen Jersey Shore Snooki? Yeah. That's that's literally. I love me a good Snooki. Literally a me. Oh my God. I am living. I am living. (laughs) And I was like serving and Asia's like, I was like, hey, I'm volunteering at the LGBT Center, blah, blah, blah. Because for any gays out there who move to a new city and want to get started just being involved in community, find your local LGBT Center. Let me tell you, that's where I started, and I have never looked back since. I think any advice I give to anybody moving anywhere or you have no education or anything, just like start volunteering and let people know who you are because that itself is going to get you into any place that you feel is like gay kept in some way because most jobs are gay kept right mm-hmm. i mean you're not getting in if you they don't know who you are mm-hmm. like period so um i did my little volunteering i was being all cute at the front desk 
And then um, Asia was just like, hey, like my friend works at the LGBT center, like you should meet him. And I was like, okay. And then we connected and literally you were like, I'm going to a thing in LA. Do you want to come? <laughs> Didn't know this man was here for a week. You know what I said? Sure. We wow. went to a press conference and I still have pictures from it. Yeah. Yeah. In I'd LA. To see. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was my first experience and I was just like, okay, so this is for real. And then started working with you um, as his little bitch boy, <laughs> just literally just like making him laugh. Mm-hmm. Just trying to keep his moods up and obviously go to things he didn't I know because there's not, not a lot of laughing in my life at that time. <laughs> there isn't. There isn't. He's, like, he's so serious. And then um, got hired through a little thing and then got a new job and all this stuff. And then from there, like, you just blossomed into this Univision girl. Like, <laughs> literally, like, I don't know. If, if, if it's immigration and it's an OC, you're going to see <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? It sounds like I need to get an agent. Uh, are you available? <laughs> Actually, right now. <laughs> Let me tell you. Right now, things aren't looking too good. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, I love that you shared, Jay, kind of how you met, you know, Luis and how you've seen that he's blossomed. You know, for Luis, I have a question for you. How long had you been doing um, this work prior to meeting Jay? Or I guess, how did you land in the type of work that you, that you did? Did you also start volunteering or did you meet uh, uh, an Asia, Asia point two <laughs> yeah. somehow and get connected to, to the to the current organization or the current work that you're doing? Thank you so to know a little much. Bit about that. I, I certainly appreciate this question. Um, and you know what? Like there's, I mean, there's certainly a point where like I began doing this work, but I, I think um, I could really go way back to just who I am as a person. Um, I think as a person of color who identifies as LGBTQ, I've always been just really drawn to social issues um, and mm-hmm. systems of power. And um, I decided to obtain an internship at the center when I was in my last year of uh, my undergrad education. And so um, I was interning um, as a policy and advocacy intern, and I loved it. And I honestly thought that my internship was the coolest one um, compared to the rest of my classmates who also had internships. What is that? Policy yeah. advocacy. Is oh that? my gosh! Well, we well we were doing really cool stuff. And shout out to Laura. She is an amazing, amazing mm, person. I love Laura. Yeah, love like her. superhero woman. Um, she believed in super shira woman for sure <laughs> really uh, like really 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 i learned so much like from really, her really. and i'll always credit her um so i was her intern and at the time there were uh, many things going on in orange county i mean there there still are <laughs> um and at the time mm-hmm. um the center led by laura was uh they were trying to form this working group with the police with different um, chiefs of police to you know bridge the communities right like the policing community and the lgbtq community and create dialogue and you know those were different times but there were certainly important conversations to be had right and so um compared with the other internships that my friends were having or that my classmates were having of you know making copies and getting coffee i was sitting with like you know executive directors from um different organizations and impacted community members and having really difficult conversations with chiefs of police and planning, you know, and, and, and conducting dialogues and things like that. I was like, Oh my God, this is really cool. And, you know, and doing other things, um, supporting the youth program as well. So big shout out to my colleagues, Stephanie and Tony, love Uh, love them too. So then there was a grant, there was the money 
to bring me on part-time. Seven years later, man, so much has happened. <laughs> so much has happened. And I'm sure that we'll we'll get into the weeds of, of how much has happened. But yes, that's how I got started. And here I am. I just, you know, I guess time flies when you're having fun. It really does. And it's so crazy looking back that 2016 was six years ago. Well, more than six years. Now it's 2023. So yeah, time really passes by. But then you're like, 2016, bitch, that was yesterday. For real. I sound like my mother. Um, And... One thing that I want to say is that you were the director of immigration resources. There was not an immigration department in the center before you started, right? Correct. Um, certainly the center was involved in immigrant rights because, you know, to talk about yeah. LGBTQ rights is to talk about immigrant rights. It's to talk about many mm-hmm. intersectional advocacy efforts. But mm-hmm. right, uh, that time was the time that the center got a grant to specifically do work supporting LGBTQ immigrants. Yeah. You love your job? I do. I get to participate in the empowerment of uh, my community. And I really, I was thinking about this question yesterday um, and I am honored actually to be able to provide services to people that have gone through so much. Just the stories that I've heard, right? And the amazing individuals that I have gotten the privilege of knowing um, and to be able to yeah. be part of their lives and then starting new lives here in the United States. Um, it's just been such a privilege, such, such an honor. And it's not something that I take lightly, it's something that fulfills me and that fills me with joy. And that I look back and say, you know what, if I die today or tomorrow, I die knowing that I was part of people's lives in a way that was so empowering and life changing. You know, it brings me it brings me great I don't even want to say satisfaction, but it just brings me, it, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I've done something for the world. You know how people are yeah. trying to find themselves sometimes? Mm-hmm. Um, girl. I'm not saying that I've found mm-hmm. myself or anything. I'm just saying, girl, I have done something with the time that this body has been on this earth. Right. I do want to include a little disclaimer, though. Like, I, I certainly do not want to um, frame or portray myself as this kind of savior, right, that has come mm-hmm. and saved people. I just have gotten the opportunity to participate in the journey of people, and that has been an honor. Mm-hmm. So I just, I wanted to also mention that. That's kind of hot. I oh, Really quick, I, I, I want to get a little candid, because we talk about, we've been talking about finding our... Our, our joy and our careers, but also thinking about like, is our career even a place to find joy? Like, can that exist outside girl, of your career? Oh my God. Do you want to go down that rabbit hole? Because <laughs> I, I, I do. Girl. I do. No, I want to go down that rabbit hole. Let's go down that rabbit hole. I know that nonprofit work does not pay, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of fun. I, not only hanging out with you was fun. The work that I did was fun. What I learned was fun. And like, I took on like a lot of responsibilities mm-hmm. as well, like just to show them that like I can do shit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has shaped me into the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. But no, it was not paying the bills. It was barely paying anything. I was still serving. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, care work is not paid. Me. That's what I'm yeah. learning too in school. Care work is not paid. Like Ooh. care work is totally. She's in the hood. Yeah, no, care work is not, <laughs> it's not well paid. You know, you think of teachers, teachers perform care work, you know, they're taking care of your children and raising them essentially, you know, for half of the day, mm-hmm. they're not getting paid well. Mm-hmm. Um, care work is, is needed by capitalism, in my opinion, but it's not something that is viewed with the importance that it should be viewed with. Right. It's not recognized as being like essential work. Exactly. Right. Even though um, essential workers can be something anything, that produces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Produces like the profit that. Yeah the current systems are built on. Mm -hmm. You know, I have 
tons of experience in nonprofit work. And I think, um, not immigration, but nonprofit in general. So I, I, you know, my thing is that I think the nonprofit sector, depending on the type of work that you do may be different, but it all kind of merges if it falls under the nonprofit umbrella, because you're always um, trying to find grants, Mm -hmm. funding. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I think depending on the nonprofit that you work for. It's like everything's based off the mission and the values. But then what I've seen and experienced is that employees sometimes aren't included in the mission Mm, and the values. I do love that you say, you know, care work is not paid and that for you, I don't think you said happiness, um, but you you find your work very um, rewarding and it makes you feel like like you mentioned in your words, if you die tomorrow, you know you did something. You were part of the solution in a way mm-hmm. for tons of people um, with the impact that, 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 that you've, you've made and the roles that you filled within this position. Mm-hmm. I think that that's just very difficult to decipher though, between deciding to do very wholesome work without not paying attention to some of these capitalistic ideas, material ideas, and then just saying, let me go corporate or let me just not dedicate my time as like monetizing something and let me just volunteer when I, I guess, have, have it made or am more stable. Um, so I do think that it's good that you point out that you genuinely enjoy your work and that for you, it sounds like maybe money isn't always something that is, has decided the way that the route that you've gone specifically still staying in nonprofit. Um, you said seven years. Yes. Yeah. But I think those are really important conversations to have. And I think, you know, as I was mentioning to you all, like something that has struck me lately was just conversations around happiness right and it's just something that i feel like maybe you're y'all are alluding to right like and finding Mm -hmm. yourself and finding your own happiness and so i'm also realizing that my happiness is very multi-dimensional right like i find happiness in different ways and i think it's very important to Mm -hmm. chase it different ways different men (laughs) (laughs) different ways yes but i think it's very important to chase it um because it i what I'm learning, at least for me, my own happiness is not a destination. It's more of a journey. And how can I maximize this journey to find my own happiness? Mm-hmm. So, and I always leave with more questions than with answers, but I think that that's a good question. Uh-huh. I mean, that's, it's a good, it's a good direction. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think, you know, historically from what I've heard and learned or even just seen it, right? Sometimes immigration work is not only emotionally taxing, but sometimes depending on what sector you work for, nonprofit or not, I've read that it's just, it, it doesn't produce the same that a private lawyer would, which is like, duh, some private lawyers are just taking your money, which we see it all the time. For sure. Um, and so, you know, to pivot from that, um, a quick question for you, Louise, for people that may not know, um, and maybe just for me, for my education, being director of immigration resources, what does that entail? I oversee that department, right, in itself. So um, I have two amazing staff members that are part of my team, mm-hmm. along with a sizable number of volunteers and interns that also support our work um, and that are very committed. And so we offer mm-hmm. a different array of services. We engage in a lot of advocacy. And so that's how I actually met Jay <laughs> at an advocacy yeah. event. <laughs> um, we do a lot of education and outreach work, you know, going to community events. We, you know, we're actually pretty active on social media. That in itself, it's its own job. Okay. We collaborate with other organizations in providing legal services and hosting monthly immigration clinics. So monthly immigration consultations. We offer ESL classes and citizenship classes. And lastly, we have a social support group for parents and family members of LGBTQ individuals in Spanish. So 
very much resembling like a Spanish P flag mode, um, which we are so invested in this year. Because um, mm-hmm. that is a place where a lot of happiness does happen. A lot of, lots of different conversations do happen, but lots of happiness. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to okay. focus on providing space for happiness as well. Because as you mentioned, this work can be very heavy, can be very taxing, mm-hmm. but that doesn't define us all, right? Like there can also be sure. mm-hmm. moments of happiness. And I think we, at least for me in this new journey, now that I, oh my God, Jay, when I met you, I was like 26 and now I'm 33. Um, <laughs> Girl, you don't got to remind me. <laughs> so, you do not. I was also, wait, was I 26? No. No. You're a bit younger than him. Not by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Anyway, no, no, sorry, sorry. I got, I got 2016 and Okay, so very, very cool work that your organization is doing. Um, Thank you for the details on that. And one of the things that I did learn, which I really wanted to get into on this episode was... Kind of some a conversation that happened like a long time ago was about DACA. I don't know if a lot of people know what DACA is or anything like that, or people have probably heard the the word dreamers. I don't know who's heard whatever, but when I was there, I learned about something that was called DACA, which was kind of something for kids who came to the country. They're brought by their parents without documentation. And then obviously when they turned 18, they found out that they were undocumented and were able to get jobs or, or certain uh, things that you get as a citizen. And there was actions made to help those people, but they're a little, for me, they're problematic and they're kind of like, well, this is what happens when capitalism runs your life. But before DACA, there was the DREAM Act. Um, The DREAM Act is called the Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors Act, known as the DREAM Act, you know, acronyms. Mm -hmm. And it was a U.S. legislative proposal to grant temporary conditional residency with the right to work to illegal immigrants who entered the United States as minors and then later satisfy further qualifications they would attain permanent residency. Mm -hmm. And DACA which is called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, pretty much took off, how I I understand it, took off the second part, is that you can stay and work, but you don't have a path to permanent residency. Mm -hmm. And DAPA, which was, because this one's called for childhood arrivals, the other one was for the parents, which was going to be like kind of like a double deal. But then when things happened with whatever, with Congress and all that um, BS, that they ended up taking out the parent part and just keeping the child part. Yes, no, thank you so much for um, for shining light on that because I think that that's a conversation that really needs to happen a lot this year um, because we're expecting things to happen this year. And so um, yeah. a little bit of, of information about DACA. Um, let's, let's actually rewind it back to the early 2000s. That's when mm-hmm. um, conversations were happening around um, the children of, of undocumented immigrants who had brought their children to the United States also without um, inspection or without legal authorization. Um, A bill was introduced called the DREAM Act for short um, in the early 2000s, and that didn't pass. And then there was a lot of advocacy that happened, um, almost passed in 2010, failed, um, I believe, in the House of Representatives. And then there was a lot of youth advocacy to provide a different alternative if it wasn't going to be through Congress. And so the Mm -hmm. Obama administration announced DACA in June of 2012. And so what that essentially means is that the government was going to defer removal action against, uh, against an individual. So what that means is that the government was not going to seek 
to deport the individual to, who applied for for this form of relief. Um, and that was in 2012. Close to 800,000 people applied for it. It's sad that wow. some of the people that were pushing for it in the early 2000s were did were aged out, like did not qualify for it because of age constraints. But a lot of people were able to start a new chapter in their lives, you know, obtain their first credit card, buy their first car, sometimes even buy their houses, um, get better jobs, get health insurance. Um, DACA is kind of crazy because you have to pay, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to pay, I think, 485 Close to five hundred dollars. Oh, okay. Every two and years, and that's how often every two well, years. Well, it's every okay. every two oh. years, but ever since twenty seventeen, when um, the Trump administration rescinded the program, and there's been many attacks, and there's many announcements of like, oh, is it going to end? Is it not going to end? And oh, people should renew. So people, some some people have been doing yearly. Wow. Just just to extend those protections as much as they can mm-hmm. in case the program is ended. Yeah. Okay. Luckily, there are programs for low-income people that they can get um, a pardon from it. So if anyone listening has DACA and has been paying but is low-income, there's definitely ways that you can um, get help with that. So please look that up. But yeah, and no more new people can apply for DACA. Like, I can't, like if I was... I can't apply anymore. Like, it's closed. It's done. Está cerrado. Caso cerrado. And then the Obama presidency ran out, as I'd like to say, and we had a new former president. Thou who shall not be named. And yes, thou who shall not be named. And um, there was a lawsuit by led by Texas that sought to end the program. And the program was put in a situation where it was going to be up to the Trump administration to defend it. And it wasn't, that was just not going to happen. So the Trump administration decided to rescind the program. And ever since there's been many lawsuits um, Mm -hmm. to both end and to leave DACA. And it Mm -hmm. was in 2020 when, you know, it had arrived at the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decided that, no, the way that the, the program had been rescinded was not legal. That was not the end of it. <laughs> then, mm-hmm. uh, because essentially the Supreme Court almost gave like a roadmap of, of, of how it should have been ended. And so, again, Texas and other states um, have sued. And we are now in a position where the program is likely to end, perhaps by this summer. Um, it is likely to be to end at the Supreme Court again, right? So whether the work permits that these people have been able to obtain will end in the summer i don't necessarily think so but it's very likely that the case will end up at the supreme court and then we'll hear a definitive answer about this program so what we really need is congressional action not just for daca recipients but also for the 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country no not all of them are immigrant i mean criminals or you know all all those narratives that people are trying to portray i think um this country Mm -hmm. was built with immigrants it is a country mm-hmm. of immigrants, and most of us can trace our origins to immigrants. So how do we work together to build an immigration system that benefits not only this country, but that possibly positively benefits the lives of people um, that are coming as well? So do you think that people's lives are better because of DACA or not? Because if it's caused problems because of fucking orange face, do you think that it actually helped people or not? Because you live in California, mm-hmm. 
So I'm sure here, you know, everyone's really, well, I guess if you're you're in the city, not in the Valley, honey, but um, they're pretty open that you're pretty much okay. But what about them Florida people? Like, like what, what would, what's your opinion on that? Working so close. So as I was, as I was sharing with you ever since the, uh, since the, ever since people started getting those, those work authorizations, um, they began to live a different a new chapter in their lives as i was mentioning to you a lot of them got better jobs because of it less abusive jobs because of it um they were able to get mm-hmm. health insurance they were able to get their first credit card start building credit um and then mm-hmm. therefore being able to buy their first car some people bought homes some people established families um <clears throat> and it's been how many years like 11 it's going to be 11 years of daca um this year so in 11 years a lot of things have happened um in the lives of these people so it has certainly been beneficial not only for in the lives of the people that are um <clears throat> that are beneficiaries of daca but it's also had a positive impact on the economy as well um, exactly I, I just looked it up and for 2021 was over the 600,000 daca recipients paid about 9.4 billion dollars in taxes for the united states mm-hmm. So, yeah, bitch, we, we have jobs. People yeah. are working. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I, I, it's, it's kind of really messed up, right? The system that we're in, right? Because you're going to leave a very big power. You're talking about 600,000 people and nine talented people because there are there's educational requirements to apply for the program and so a lot of them have uh, at least a bachelor's degree um there's many Mm -hmm. who have graduate degrees including doctorate degrees and so um which is Mm -hmm. why the business community is rallying for uh in support of this program or in support of a permanent solution for this population it is something that obviously has been politicized and it is something sure. that is going to hurt the country, but some people sure. are trying to make a point. Um, but at what cost, right? Yeah, like these are people's lies, bitch. Like we're not over here just messing around with like, should there be a daylight savings or not, bitch? Like this is like somebody's life. Right. Like, and it's it sucks because a lot of it does feel kind of like, what's the point, right? Every, some, some people are kind of like, even if you're a doctor, you're like, what's the point? It's going to get whatever it's going to get this like how can we as as people who um are as queer people that are watching this how can we like help because like listen when i google politicians and what they stand for i can't find nothing right (laughs) i don't know i don't know what i'm googling i don't know what site you advocacy people are going in but i can't see no records of nothing i can't see no vote and nothing i can't see if this judge is maga or not i don't know any of these things so how can we who maybe just learned are just like oh shit well these people are gonna blah 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 like how can we help because realistically i think correct me if i'm wrong because you're heavily involved in the work i think that it sounds like a great idea to an idiot. Let's just stop this and deport everybody. But anybody who with any sense is like, you can't. That would literally cause so much like drama and collapse to like the United States that that is just, for me, doesn't seem something feasible. Yes, Orange Face showed us that some things are very feasible. But I do think that once you start talking about money, I think it starts getting kind of crazy. Like, am I am I dumb for thinking that like, it's not i mean yes it can end but also like come on you can't get rid of that like you just can't you can't get rid of 10 billion dollars bitch you can't right and i think some 
I mean, this is my own personal and humble opinion. <laughs> I think um, some some of the judges are also realizing that. Like, for example, um, one of the d- judges made a comment mm-hmm. saying that it is undeniable, you know, how entrenched uh, these people are in our society, including like in their jobs and the significant mm-hmm. impact that this program has had. But ultimately, like I said, the the lives of these people have been politicized. This is definitely a bargaining chip, a political bargaining chip. And um, people are, are more obsessed on making a point rather than looking at the actual positives of this program. Right. right. Or like almost seems like the facts, right? Of like what's actually happened since a decade of DACA being in place. It's so political that it's like about just making your point and that's it. Right. It's more about... Um, almost very ego-based. Oh, absolutely. And it's more about um, labeling someone illegal mm. and undeserving of being within these borders and elevating the narrative of America first. <laughs> but, the, yeah. but the interesting thing is that DACA recipients are here because of America first, you know, to make America right. a better place. For sure. Mm-hmm. So a good organization that that has a lot of information around this program and what we can expect is United We Dream. But also... Um, um, thank you. For, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, that great resource there. Thank you. And it's also like, I mean, don't be afraid of reaching out to your congressperson. <laughs> that's very important especially so what does that mean email you mean call like what what, yes, what exactly person, does that mean a person can call what advice though do you have for someone that's shy <laughs> yeah <laughs> or like, like right on. it's like no, you, I, you call them and you get like a voicemail because sometimes they get bombarded right yeah. and i'm i mean i'm saying this because i i'm also from kansas so when i was calling for something totally different i got a voicemail and then months after i got an email that they got my voicemail that they're taking into account seriously all the calls that they've had and that, you know, they give a political spiel. Right, 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 right. And so, and so I don't know um, if you know if that voicemail or that call actually does indeed trigger something. Because, you know, some folks are very like doom and gloom and say like, what's a phone call going to do? Exactly. Um, what, I get a voicemail and I give out my spiel are they are they just deleting the voicemails or are they actually, you know, have someone that's going through them and actually telling the representative like, hey, we've got an X amount of voicemails about this issue. Like, yes. you better go out and say something. Yes. No, they um, okay. it, it's smart for them to to act, to do that, <laughs> to actually have someone mm. go through them um, and listen to what the public are, are saying. Um, and to answer the question, what, what advice do I have for someone who is shy, um, which is totally fine. And, and it's, you know, there's still ways to get involved. Um, you know, by visiting that website of United We Dream, they, like I said, they have many ways of getting involved. Um, some people may donate money, right, to a DACA renewal fund so that people, you know, can get assistance paying for that renewal fee. Um, so there's many ways to get involved, but I think a good place to start would be unitedwithdream.org. And big okay. shout out to them. They're doing amazing work for sure. Yeah, no, I'm browsing here um, their website. Lots of good resources. I, aesthetically, I really like their website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all about the aesthetics, um, but I definitely like definitely everything that they've provided here. So yeah, I'm definitely going to link that in, in the show notes. Um, yeah, and I think for advice, like you were saying, for people who are shy, I think like what Luis was saying is that there's a lot of different things that you can do. You can right. find a non-shy way right. to yeah. help. Yeah. Like um, I I work for a temp agency and I actually did a, a job where we were counting ballots for the nurses to get the nurses paid, I think like $25 or something oh. or, or more than that. 
And I had to go through to make sure the signatures matched and then all this stuff. And I didn't talk to nobody. Girl, I sat there with my master chef. <laughs> I watched my videos. I checked, I checked the the I double checked and I got a nice little check for doing that. So I think there's a lot of work that anyone can do mm-hmm. that will fit your proclivities. I don't know. Your your quirks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah the, yes to what you said, but also what Luis said when we asked the question of like, what can we do? It's like there's really a million ways that you can right. volunteer, you can reach out, you can make your voice known. We all the majority of folks have some form of social media, mm-hmm. which really is our our power, and our voice is our power. Voting is our power. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, so many ways that that you can get out there and make it known what you stand for. So um, love everything that we just said, um, <laughs> but specifically since I did want this to be more of a DACA episode because it is such a hot button issue, and we are kind of getting into what's actually about to happen. Luis, how can anyone with DACA? find any sort of hope in about what's to happen? Yes, thank you so much for this question. And certainly um, there's a lot of noise and probably a lot of negative noise around um, this program at the moment. And I always advise some uh, folks to get an immigration consultation because you never know, you may qualify for something yeah. else um, and not know it. So um, I also, what I'm empowering the people that I'm encountering Um, lately is how can you take control of your own situation at this time, given everything that's going Mm. on um, without having to depend on Congress to give you something right. Um, And everybody's going to have a different answer for that. And I empower that answer because I feel like it's time um, where folks feel like they're in control of themselves um, so I'll just leave that out there because it, it can mean a lot of things. Um, but mm-hmm. I think right. I think that's the empowering part, realizing, you know what, what is it that I can control about this narrative, about my situation, about what is out there right now? Um, and also to always, always, always make space for happiness because we cannot mm. give what we don't have. You know, yeah, I love that. Love how you say that, bitch. Let's go into your happiness. <laughs> Okay, that's going to be it for part one because we're actually going to split this into two episodes because that's what we do. We've been done splitting these episodes all the time because we talk for so long and I don't think you want to hear a two-hour conversation. But the next episode, we're actually going to be talking about happiness and how, as queer people, how do we find happiness when everything seems to be going to shit and life seems very hopeless and pointless and i get a little candid and a little personal and i just want you guys to know you don't have to call for help i'm okay but i'll see you next time or what?